Informing America's farmers and ranchers, it's Adams on Agriculture, produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Here's your host, Mike Adams. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Adams on Agriculture. Thank you for joining us. Hope you're having a good day. Thank you for letting us be part of your day. We're going to talk a lot about trade today. That's big news with uh, what's going on with China and the the growing optimism that a deal is going to be struck. We don't know details, but the president uh, continues to talk about it's going to be great for farmers. Uh, we know the deadline to get one done has been extended. So, you know, a lot of optimism. We're going to get some reaction to all that and also talk about USMCA, another important pending trade deal. And we'll get thoughts on that from various segments of agriculture. We'll talk with the Executive Director of Farmers for Free Trade, Brian Keel. We'll talk with the Vice President and Counsel for the National Pork Producers Council, Nick Giordano. And we'll talk with the Director of International Trade and Market Access for the National Cattlemen's Beef Association, Kent Backus, all coming up on today's program as we talk about trade, the importance of trade, the impact still being felt right now with the tariffs on steel and aluminum and the retaliation from Canada and Mexico, especially harmful to the pork industry. We'll be talking about that with Nick Giordano a little bit later on in the program. So um, right now, trade is uh, front and center uh, on the uh, issue list for agriculture. In fact, later this week, I'll be in Orlando, Florida for Commodity Classic, and that for sure will be a big, big topic there as well as we'll be talking uh, with several ag leaders at Commodity Classic both Thursday and Friday of this week. Commodity Classic coming up in Orlando, Florida. All right, also before we get started, I want to welcome, we have a new member to our Adams on Agriculture family. Very happy to welcome KGHL AM 790 in Billings, Montana, joining us today. Great to have listeners to KGHL in Billings, Montana, joining us. Look forward to uh, having you be with us uh, each day here on Adams on Agriculture. Again, a big welcome to KGHL AM 790 in Billings, Montana. All right, as we take a look at some of the uh, different issues, and this is something we're going to get into tomorrow, just uh, kind of a heads up. We're going to talk about the dairy industry tomorrow and the, the struggles there, and we'll try to get some price outlook tomorrow. But uh, obviously, there are some big issues there to deal with. There are some things in the Farm Bill to help dairy farmers. Uh, we'll be looking at those as well. But uh, these are certainly uh, anxious times in the dairy industry. These are also anxious times for soybean growers because they keep hearing about the more sales to China and the promises um, being made or expected to come true, hope to come true with a, with a trade deal. Let's talk about that with the CEO of the American Soybean Association, Ryan Finley, who's in Orlando for Commodity Classic. Ryan, I'm envious. You're there in the warm weather ahead of me. I look forward to getting down there uh, uh, tomorrow. All right, let's talk about, uh, first of all, your reaction to the latest talks with China, the extension of the deadline, and the talk of a deal getting done perhaps next month. Yeah, yeah. Well, I, first of all, I should say all farmers are welcome to get out of the cold and come down to Orlando. They can still register. They can find a hotel room. So everybody is welcome down here for the 2019 Commodity Classic. But um, to, to answer your question, it's mixed right now. I think that farmers are saying, hey, we've been dealing with this for closing in on a year, and we would really like to see 
the resolution of the tariffs that are having a major impact on our products, on our pricing, on our ability to trade with our number one customer, and we need to see resolution for that. So the fact that they're still talking, that they're still engaged in a negotiation is good, but we had a deadline and now we're extending that, and so it's this mixed uh, feeling from a lot of farmers that we're hearing saying, boy, it's good that they're still talking, but they have to wrap this up and we have to get back to trading with China. Yeah, until it's a done deal, until we see what's in it, uh, shouldn't get overly excited, I don't think. Uh, optimistic, fine, but not too overly excited. Uh, now, they've they've made some more purchases. We keep hearing these announcements of purchases. And while that's good that they're buying uh, U.S. soybeans, we have to keep in perspective they're buying a lot less than they used to. Yeah, that's right. Absolutely. In 2017, we saw over 30 million metric tons of, of soybeans go to China. And there's a, there's a bit of a, maybe a confusion right now, and I, or uncertainty is probably a better term. Last Saturday, Friday afternoon, when Secretary Purdue said that the Chinese in the Oval Office said they were going to buy an additional 10 million metric tons, if you take that 10 million plus the other purchases that have been made since December, that puts us somewhere between 15 and 18 million metric tons, so about half of what we would typically send to China. The question is, is that when does that 10 million metric ton purchase happen? Is it now? Has it already started? Is it including some of the purchases that have already been made? Is this going to be after the deal? So there's, there's a lot of questions around all of these discussions and, and promises and anticipations and, and all the words that are being used are being analyzed a hundred different ways. So we're, um, you know, we're, we would really like to see the tariffs removed and get back to the point where China's buying beans because they need them and we're a reliable supplier instead of promising an arbitrary 10 million metric tons here, 5 million there, or just a, an annualized dollar amount. That's not a, that's not a good way to, to have a marketing strategy for either country. And whatever the deal will call for, we wait to see what the details would be. But it'll take a while to try to just make up from what we've lost to get back to even of what we would have been before all this started. Yeah, that, that's a great point. If you look at the WASDE report, the, the, the World Agricultural Statistics Demand Estimates from almost a year ago, actually, if we go into May, June of 2018, it was looking at a, a stocks around this time of about 400,000 bushels or 400, um, 400 and we're around 900. So we're almost a billion bushels. Um, I said thousand, I meant million. So we're almost, we're, we're around 900 million bushel stocks to use where we were estimated to be at 400. So we're at double where we were supposed to be based on estimates a year ago. And when we have this much supply, how do we get rid of that? And how do we get rid of that extra supply when USDA is estimating that the amount of exports we have globally may not recover until 2026? So we're, we're really looking at some challenging numbers here when we have really high stocks. Our trade doesn't look like it's going to ramp up for five to eight more years. And, and what, how many acres are we going to plant of soybeans? There's reports that it may not be as low as we think, and if our trend yield stays high, we're going to be we're going to have a lot of soybeans in this country. 
Yeah, so hopefully they're going to be buying and buying a lot. We will see. Ryan, as always, good to talk with you. Look forward to seeing you in uh, Orlando. Anxious to uh, kind of gauge the mood and the feeling of uh, producers there, what they're thinking and saying about these issues, and uh, we'll talk again soon. Thank you very much. Excellent. Thanks, Mike. Take care. You too. Ryan Finley, CEO of the American Soybean Association. All right, more on trade coming up later. Nick Giordano with the National Pork Producers Council and Kent Backus with the National Cattlemen's Beef Association. But up next, Brian Keel, Executive Director of Farmers for Free Trade. How do they feel about the China news and uh, what seems to be a positive direction for these talks? Although we don't know what the, the final deal will be or when. And also, what about the looming battle over USMCA? That's coming up next here on AOA, Adams on Agriculture. Powerful, effective, proven, tough, consistent, reliable. A lot of adjectives can describe a herbicide's weed control, but one only applies to Liberty Herbicide. Superior. Liberty Herbicide has no known resistance in row crops, more convenient application flexibility, and excellent control of key weeds. All backed by the Liberty Weed Control Guarantee. Learn more at liberty.basf.com. Grow smart with BASF. Always read and follow label directions. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now, back to Mike Adams. Interesting to uh, watch the discussion about uh, the trade with China and the trade talks with China. Uh, we've, there's been a lot of talk about getting a deal done, and now there are concerns being raised about, okay, let's not settle for a, for a half deal or you know a watered-down deal. So as we get closer to what seems to be a deal, now those concerns are being raised. Let's get some perspective on it from Brian Keel, Executive Director of Farmers for Free Trade, Brian, thanks for joining us. What's your take on uh, what you're seeing and hearing with these uh, trade talks with China? Well, thanks for having me on, Mike. Um, you know, I, I think there's a lot of lot of nuance here that people need to understand. Um, the first is this kind of bizarre situation where we're in where essentially negotiating a trade agreement with China, but not doing it through the normal framework. That normally the way trade agreements are negotiated, uh, the president is supposed to bring. Um, bring to the Congress his negotiating objectives so Congress can weigh in and say, yeah, that sounds like the right direction to go. Then the president goes off and negotiates a deal, and if the president does that, then under trade promotion authority, the president can bring that deal back to the Congress for ratification, and it's protected from amendments. The president hasn't done that in this case. What the president's done is gone off and started negotiating directly with, with China without any trade promotion authority. So it kind of begs the question of what is this thing? Is this a you know, a memorandum of understanding between China and, and the U.S.? Is it a trade deal? If it's a trade deal, is it enforceable? Is the U.S. making binding commitments? And if the U.S. is making binding commitments, what authority does the president have to make those commitments without involving Congress? So it's kind of a different beast, and I think people are scratching their heads a little bit about how this is all going to play out over the, over the coming months. Senate Finance Chair Chuck Grassley from Iowa urging the president not to mistake a half deal for a good deal. Secretary Purdue saying that the U.S. will not be bought off by increased ag purchases like the uh, additional 10 million metric tons of U.S. soybeans. He said China has 
promised to buy. Uh, so you have, uh, you know, you have all these uh, swirling issues around it, but it looks like the president is moving forward to get a deal done perhaps uh, by next month. So then it'll be what's in those details and what will the enforcement mechanism be to make sure that China sticks to the agreement? That, that's absolutely right. I mean, you know, as they say, the devil is in the details. I think what we're worried about, and we've seen this pattern a couple of times before, I mean, in the case of, like, the EU, you know, there was this announcement that the EU and the U.S. had agreed to not raise tariffs anymore and that uh, the EU was going to buy a bunch of ag products. Well, that really hasn't happened. There was no real deal. And, again, because the president was trying to do this outside of the constitutional structure for trade agreements, um, there was no framework for an agreement with the European Union. Um, now, the president, to his credit, has backed up a step, is now talking about, okay, maybe we need to do a formal negotiation with the EU with negotiating objectives, et cetera. But for China, again, there's that question of what is this thing? And is it is it solely tariffs? I mean, are we just saying we'll lower tariffs? Because tariffs aren't the only issue. There's intellectual property. There's non-tariff barriers. Farmers know well the games that can be played with phytosanitary standards. There's a lot that needs to be done, and arguably to be done better in an actual trade agreement than in this kind of ad hoc kind of process. So it's interesting. I mean, there's a, there's so much floating around here, and possibles, and maybes, and hope to bees, but we don't have things definite, concrete, and secure yet, so we have to, to keep that in mind. We're talking with Brian Keel, Executive Director of Farmers for Free Trade. Let's switch now to USMCA. Looks like there's another effort launched, another coalition launched to push USMCA, a, a very pro-USMCA lobbying effort getting underway today. Are, are, is your group part of this one too, Brian? Well, we're, we're going in whole hog on USMCA. I mean, there are a number of groups that have announced they're going to be working on getting support for the president's trade agreement, and, and Farmers for Free Trade will be one of those organizations making a big push. Um, you know, we think USMCA is it's NAFTA plus. I mean, it's basically the NAFTA agreement, but some, some improvements to NAFTA, not, not watershed improvements, but they're, but they're incrementally better. Trade with Mexico and Canada is critically important to act, so we're going to put our weight behind trying to get this bill across the finish line in Congress. What do you see as the major hurdles? I mean, we've heard the Democrats in the House especially already raise some questions about some different aspects of it. What do you see as the biggest hurdles to get this done? Well, I think there's a couple things. I mean, one is just the climate in D.C. That's the biggest hurdle. You know, things are so polarized between the Republicans and the Democrats, between the Democrats and Trump, and that makes it hard to move any legislation, as we've seen. I mean, the government shutdown sort of, you know, exhibit one in, in how difficult it can be to get even relatively simple things done. And in that context, there's an effort to move a trade agreement. Um, I think the other thing is we're worried that President Trump's going to Say he'll withdraw the U.S. from NAFTA as a way of increasing his leverage on uh, getting Congress to move on USMCA. I think that'd be a terrible miscalculation. I think that risks the risks NAFTA going away. It risks the Democrats saying, "All right, we'll call your bluff. You pull us out of NAFTA. It's on you when the economy tanks." And and I, boy, we're really nervous about that dynamic. It would seem to the the steel and aluminum tariffs on Canada and Mexico. Do you think he's holding those as a bargaining chip? Because members of both sides of the aisle, 
as well as many ag groups have said, those have to be lifted if this is going to go anywhere. Is that kind of something you think he's holding to that, you know, when we get really get into the negotiations, he can pull those then? Well, you know what, Mike, you're asking exactly the right question. You know, when, when, when the negotiations with Canada and Mexico started, there was a suggestion from many in the Trump administration that the steel and aluminum tariffs were going to be the leverage that would get them a good deal with, with, you, with Canada and Mexico. Well, we've got the deal with Canada and Mexico, but the steel and aluminum tariffs are still there. So, it, so it's a question of, is this leverage over Congress? Is this leverage over Canada and Mexico who haven't passed this bill themselves or passed this trade agreement themselves? Or is this protectionism? You know, is this an effort to prop up domestic steel industry? And, and, if, and if it's that, if it's protectionism, it's hard to see how you get steel and aluminum tariffs to go away because the steel companies are enjoying this, this beneficial position they're in. And they don't want the tariffs to go away. So I, I think that's another big point of contention that could hold this whole thing up, is if, if, the, if the administration's not willing to repeal those, those tariffs. I'm looking forward to seeing you in Orlando this week for Commodity Classic and looking forward to hearing what uh, farmers and ranchers from around the country have to say about this. I mean, uh, we have, as I said earlier, we have all these expectations and we hear about all the opportunities and the maybes that are out there. But you have to balance that off with the fact we don't have them done yet. Uh, it'll be interesting to see what the patience level is with farmers from around the country. Well, that's right, and and we also have to, you know, to use that that sort of phrase. We gotta gotta see if the juice was worth the squeeze. I mean, it's one thing to announce with a bunch of hoopla that you got a deal, but let's not lose sight of the fact that the process of trying to get this deal has done real damage to U.S. agriculture, and it's not just a one-year loss of soybean sales. You know, by USDA's own calculations, soybean farmers are going to be recovering from this blow for a decade. Uh, soybean sales are not going to go back to where they were, and that's just soybeans. I mean, to say nothing of almonds, to say nothing of pork. Farmers have been hurt. It had better be a heck of a good deal to justify the pain that we've incurred. Well, I think that's a great point. As we wait to see what the deal is, you know, it will take years to really assess if this was all worth it or not and obviously there's a lot more to all this and when you get into intellectual property and a lot of those other things but from an agricultural standpoint uh, time will tell if this really was uh, you know that short-term pain was worth the long-term gain was it is there going to be enough long-term gain to to make it worthwhile that that'll take time to to find out absolutely and and what's the yeah what are the long-term impacts what have we lost in terms of market access how long will it take to get that market access back i mean those are all open questions so i think we're you know farmers are kind of show me people we're all a little bit in wait and see i think we've all been willing to give trump the benefit of the doubt but i think but there better there better be some results and we'd like to see the trade war go away sooner rather than later because it is causing real impacts to real families um Looking forward to seeing you in Orlando at Commodity Classic as well. Farmers for Free Trade will have a booth there. I encourage everyone to stop by. We'll have bumper stickers and buttons. We'll have an opportunity for you to film a testimonial about why trade is important to your farm. Uh, so come on by the Farmers for Free Trade booth, and, and we'll plan on uh, talking trade down there in, in Orlando. All right. See you soon, Brian. Thanks a lot. Uh, thanks so much, Mike. Take care. You too. Brian Keel, Executive Director of Farmers for free trade. Well, as we continue on this theme of trade and what's going on, again, it's the um, those tariffs on steel and aluminum on Mexico and Canada and the 
retaliatory tariffs back on us, really impacting some segments of uh, agriculture more than others. The pork industry really getting hit hard. We're going to talk about that with Nick Giordano, Vice President and Counsel of Global Government Affairs for the National Pork Producers Council. That's coming up next. Get his take on USMCA, the tariff situation, and the hope for something getting done with China, what that could mean for U.S. pork producers. That's coming up next, and a little bit later on, Kent Backus with NCBA will give us a beef perspective on these trade issues. So stay with us. Much more to come here on AOA, Adams on Agriculture. We're live on the red carpet, waiting for the next generation Creden soybean. There he is. Oh, Ed, look, it's Creden's Liberty Link GT27. I know, Adna. He's got elite genetics. You gotta love his four bushel per acre yield advantage. And he's both Liberty and glyphosate herbicide tolerant. Definitely the year's hottest performer. Ask your Credenz retailer about the new Credenz Liberty Link GT27 soybeans. Grow smart with BASF. Always read and follow label directions. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now back to Mike Adams. All right, so we're focused on trade here on AOA today. We've already talked with Brian Finley, CEO of the American Soybean Association, and Brian Keel, Executive Director of Farmers for Free Trade. We're joined now by Nick Giordano, Vice President and Counsel, Global Government Affairs for the National Pork Producers Council. Nick, thanks for joining us. As I'm asking everybody else today, what's your take on uh, what's happening with China, the trade talks that wrapped up last week, and now the extension of the deadline, and talk of a deal getting done perhaps next month? Well, we're encouraged. We've really been hurt by uh, China's punitive tariffs were on two retaliation lists, the 301 list and the metals list for a cumulative punitive tariff on most products of 50%, which brings us to 62%. So as competitive as we are, um, you know, we, we our, our exports have really slowed to a trickle. So we're obviously encouraged. And, uh, you know, China really has more potential for our exports than any place in the world. And uh, we can sell a lot of U.S. pork there. And I know we've had some producers a little bit frustrated that other products, ag products, seem to be in the news vis-a-vis China more than pork. And, uh, you know, it's good that USDA and the U.S. government are talking to the Chinese about a lot of products. I want to assure our producers that USDA and this administration, USTR, are hearing from MPPC, uh, and pork is an important part of these negotiations with the Chinese. Is there, you think, uh, even more pent-up demand potential there for pork because of African swine fever in China? Well, absolutely, and never mind the the ASF, Mike. Um, We know that um, pork is a sacred part of the Chinese diet. I mean, it's it's approximately 15% of the consumer price index in China. Um, so, and now you overlay ASF on top of that, um, there's going to be opportunity there. So we've been working very closely with the administration 
for well over a year on on expanded market access for U.S. pork in China, which predates the trade dispute and the retaliatory tariffs. And we've given them detailed sensitivity analysis, modeling that shows that if we can knock X, Y, and Z barriers out, what the return is in terms of new pork exports, additional employment in the United States of America, and uh, and a dent in the trade imbalance. And I, I dare say there are very few products that can impact the U.S.-China trade deficit as U.S. pork can. Yeah, I can, I can see where your members would be frustrated because they're – you know, the president's talked about soybeans, and recently he's even talked some about corn, but really hasn't been much mention about pork going into China. Well, again, Mike, I talk all the time to um, the very highest levels of this administration, and I want to assure producers that pork is in the mix, it is under discussion, and obviously it takes two to tango. So it's it's both what the United States is asking for and wants, but the Chinese have to say yes. So, and, and I think, look, um, we, we want all these barriers knocked down, but if the reports are accurate about Chinese, the decline in Chinese production due to ASF, there is going to be a positive price impact. Now, don't get me wrong, we don't want to settle there, and we want to get out from under the punitive tariffs, we want to get some of these long-standing barriers that predate the tariffs out of the way. Um, but, I, you know, I, I think given what's going on in ASF there, it's going to be positive for the global pork industry. It's going to put upward pressure on prices. That's a good thing. And we just continue to work closely with our government to try and get the best possible access for our producers in China. We're talking with Nick Giordano, Vice President and Counsel, Global Government Affairs for the National Pork Producers Council. All right, Nick, let's switch now to USMCA. This obviously a lot of harm being done to the pork industry because of those steel and aluminum tariffs on Canada and primarily Mexico. Give us an update there on uh, the damage being done to uh, pork producers and efforts to get those tariffs lifted. Well, we're on three retaliation lists, two China lists and the Mexico metals list, as you point out, and it's been very painful. And our expectation, I think, was broadly shared in the private sectors, not only in the U.S., but in Canada and Mexico, that when the USMCA deal was signed November 30th, the metal tariffs would be gone. They're still on. And this has been extremely painful for our producers. I mean, when you look at the fact that we're on three retaliation lists, uh, and we're already, in, in addition, we're losing sales in Japan because of the CPTPP and the EU deal. And our producers have been very patient, but, you know, it's, it's just, it's gotten out of hand. And um, our, our you know, producers, we're really hearing from them on the metal tariffs, and our top priority is to get out from under these things. Having said that, our support for USMCA is not conditioned on the metal tariffs. Now, obviously, we needed them removed yesterday, but um, as, as produ- most producers understand, that 20% punitive tariff, if we don't get USMCA and if NAFTA goes away, now I'm not saying it will, but obviously there's been talk about that, um, 20% would be 
our tariff that we would face in in perpetuity in Mexico. And I'll tell you what, we would lose the market, and most of that would shift to domestic Mexican production. So we can walk and chew bubble gum. We've got to have the, the punitive 20% Mexican tariffs off. We need a resolution on steel and aluminum. At the same time, um, we wholeheartedly support USMCA. So we're starting to see uh, the effort to push for its passage starting to ramp up. Coalitions uh, uh, starting to turn up uh, the pressure and attention on USMCA and why it needs to be passed. We've also heard from uh, those opposed to it or critical of it, at least, some members of the uh, House Democratic Party uh, talking about different things that they want to see changed. So what do you see as the key issues here, uh, Nick, in getting this passed? Well, I think for the Democrats, they're going to focus on labor, environment, and drug pricing. Um, you know, Republican members have some concerns about um, investor state dispute and and a number of other things. You know, look, where MPPC is, we we support the deal, and and for the the main reason that it preserves zero tariff market access in pork, and there's also an enhanced uh, SPS chapter. So for us, it's um, it, it's a net gain. Um, it's not a look. No agreement is a perfect agreement, but I, I think um, when you look at this thing, it's pretty darn good. And uh, I, I don't think any of the concerns being raised are insurmountable. Um, Speaker Pelosi has had some pretty favorable things to say, and um, you know the Mexicans have staked out a position, which is understandable, that they don't want a renegotiation. They can't have that, but that wouldn't rule out. You know, side letters maybe or so on. I, I'm not saying they're needed, and certainly I not, don't want to get in front of the administration. You know, we want this thing passed ASAP, but I, I think there's a path forward here. And finally, you, you mentioned Japan earlier. We've heard from our trade officials uh, talking about wanting to get a deal done with Japan. Do you sense we're anywhere close to that? Well, I think that negotiations with Japan are going to kick off soon, probably in March. Uh, and and probably they already would have been underway, but for the government shutdown. And I, I think that um, Ambassador Lighthizer and certainly Ambassador Dowd and others in the administration understand the importance of moving quickly, um, you know, not just for pork and really not just for ag, because... Uh, U.S. exporters are increasingly prejudiced now that Canada and Mexico and the other CPTPP nations have preferential access, and the EU has preferential access. So we've got to move very quickly if we want to protect um, U.S. market share in Japan, and it's very important for pork producers. Japan, year in and year out, has been our top value market and it's, it's pretty tough because we're losing sales there already. So we are really leaning on the administration to get going and move quickly. They certainly know that's our position. Well, there's so much out there that if it all comes together, it could really be a huge boost to agriculture in general, pork industry in particular. But uh, right now, it's still maybes. We don't have definites yet. Right. I mean, it's it's a tough time. There's a lot of angst 
among producers, and we understand that. And, um, you know, we are hopeful. We're just continue to work hard day in and day out to try and um, get progress here and to do the best job we can possibly do in representing our producers' interests in all of these negotiations. You know, first and foremost, um, getting rid of the metal tariffs in Mexico and getting a good deal in, in China, but across a whole, uh, a whole array of, of matters. All right, Nick, thanks. I keep saying this, but I hope we'll soon talk about the assigned deal and get your thoughts on that. Let's hope that's coming soon. Thanks a lot. Thanks, Mike. Good talking with you. Take care. Nick Giordano, Vice President and Counsel, Global Government Affairs for the National Pork Producers Council. All right, what about the beef industry perspective on all these trade talks, whether it's China, Japan, USMCA? We'll talk about that next with Kent Backus, Director of International Trade and Market Access for the National Cattlemen's Beef Association. Stay with us here on AOA Adams on Agriculture. Powerful, effective, proven, tough, consistent, reliable. A lot of adjectives can describe a herbicide's weed control, but one only applies to Liberty Herbicide. Superior. Liberty Herbicide has no known resistance in row crops, more convenient application flexibility, and excellent control of key weeds, all backed by the Liberty Weed Control Guarantee. Learn more at liberty.basf.com. Grow smart with BASF. Always read and follow label directions. Now, back to Mike Adams. All right, we continue to talk trade. Joining us now, Kent Backus, Director of International Trade and Market Access for the National Cattlemen's Beef Association. Kent, thanks for being with us. The question of the day is your thoughts, your reaction to what you're seeing and hearing on the, the China trade talks. Well, I think uh, you know, we're, we're certainly glad that the government, the U.S. government's uh, working with the Chinese government to try to find a path forward. Uh, we're also glad that uh, they at least have delayed the next uh, elevation in tariff rates, uh, you know, for the, at least they hit snooze for a few days. Uh, for the beef industry, you know, China is potentially a very strong market for us. Uh, you know, if we're able to, to see some significant changes in the non-tariff barriers, uh, as well as the tariffs, I think we could really see a lot of potential in that market. But, uh, you know, that's really the, the big burden for us is uh, even with the tariff issues resolved, uh, if we don't see any changes, we'll, we'll still have major restrictions uh, in the form of uh, bans on both the use of uh, hormones and beta agonists. So that's a big part of this. We look at the headlines. We have to kind of get down into the details of a deal. Issues like that need to be resolved for this to really be a significant market-opening deal for U.S. agriculture and, in this case, beef. That's exactly right. I mean, when, when you look at China, there's, there's a lot of potential there. I mean, they're surpassing the United States as the biggest importer of beef in the world. Uh, Brazil, Australia, New Zealand, uh, Canada all have access there. They're doing quite well. We want to be part of that, too. I mean, there's, there's a lot of opportunity there. But with these restrictions in place, uh, we, we only have a handful of cattle that would actually be eligible to sell in that market. Uh, so we know that uh, we know the U.S. government is trying to do everything they can to, to really open that market. We don't know 
uh, to the extent of, of where those conversations are now. Uh, but uh, we know that this is this is not something that just started with the Trump administration. This is a discussion that's been going on, uh, going back for uh, over a decade. Uh, and this is uh, we know that China would have to make some fundamental shifts uh, in just the the way that they regulate their own ag economy and their own ag production uh, in order for this to be successful. So uh, it's a heavy lift. We certainly know that. We're sensitive to that. Uh, but it's also a conversation worth having because, you know, we need to use these technologies if we're going to continue to be efficient, continue to be competitive. Uh, and really, there's no scientific justification for us not to use these technologies. Kent, what impact on the world market uh, for beef does the flooding in Australia and the loss of cattle there have? Uh, what impact do you see that have going forward now? Well, I think you know we are, our our hearts certainly go out to uh, the Australians for that loss. I mean, we've seen uh, we've seen similar catastrophic losses here in the United States. That's never a good thing. We we don't want to celebrate that. Uh, but you know, I'd, I'd be lying if I said there wasn't a silver lining to it. And the fact that uh, the supply uh, it, it is a big ding to the supply, and that that helps uh, that does help us remain competitive in some of these other markets. You know, one of the reasons why we're so concerned about uh, opening the Japanese market is because uh, of the the massive uh, tariff difference that the Australians, Kiwis, the Canadians all have into that market. Uh, the the one saving grace that we have right now is that the Australians just have such a limited supply uh, that they're they're not able to really meet the demand there. So that is helping keep us competitive for now. But we know that their herd's going to recover, their pastures are going to recover. Uh, and uh, when that happens, we're going to be at a severe disadvantage. So, again, you know, we uh, we certainly uh, have a lot of empathy uh, for their loss, uh, but we uh, we certainly know that uh, we're living on borrowed time if we think that we can just maintain the status quo and be happy with it. All right, China, Japan, let's go now to USMCA and the importance of getting this deal passed this year in Congress. Yeah, uh, this is a top priority for NCBA. Uh, for the beef industry, uh, we are strong supporters of swift passage of the USMCA. We cannot afford to delay action on this. Uh, you know, so we have uh, we've we've started our efforts in uh, in trying to uh, uh, I would say elevate this on the priority list of uh, members of Congress. Uh, we know that uh, with so many members of Congress running against President Trump in the upcoming election uh, that. Trade is one of the many issues that can become politicized, and that's the last thing we need. We need this issue to, to get through the House and the Senate in a timely manner so that we can start to focus on these other major markets. But the reality is, in Washington and inside the Beltway, uh, a lot of those factors are usually not taken into consideration. It's really about uh, the, the political nature of it. So uh, really right now it is important for everyone to, to be educating these members of Congress on the importance of North American trade, of maintaining all the benefits we've enjoyed under NAFTA. Really, this is just an improvement on NAFTA. That's why we jokingly refer to it as NAFTA 2.0. But the USMCA is a good agreement. It's something we certainly support. We want to, uh, we want to see this move forward uh, so that uh, you know, we can start to focus on some of these other markets like Japan. What is happening right now, with especially into Mexico, with the current situation when it comes to beef? Well, uh, Mexico continues to be a very strong market for us. Uh, you know, in spite of 
uh, everything that's happened uh, with the with the public debates over uh, the border and uh, you know immigration, uh, but also uh, you know looking at uh, looking at all the other political things out there. Mexico continues to be a strong market for us. Uh, you know the concerns are that uh, if the tariff issues are not resolved soon, that uh, you know beef could could potentially be on that target list for retaliation in Mexico, and that'd be very detrimental. We've seen what that's done to pork and, the, and other commodities. We don't want that. Uh, but also, uh, we're not the only country that's selling beef into Mexico. As part of the TPP, Australia and New Zealand now have preferential access to that market. Uh, that means that they're going to be competing with us and uh, with the Canadians. Uh, and that means that uh, you know we're going to be a little more price sensitive there. Uh, and at the same time, Mexico's exporting uh, large volumes of beef into the United States. So if we're not able to, to offset that, then we'll start to run a pretty significant trade deficit. Uh, so that's why trade's important, is we need to open these markets so that we can capitalize on the demand that's out there. Uh, but we're not the only country that is trying to, to open these agreements. Uh, a lot of our competitors are doing the same thing. When you look at Mexico, it's not just about beef. Uh, you know, they're a big export market for pork, and with the Europeans having an agreement with Mexico now, that's just one more competitor, and that could displace those sales. So we're certainly engaged. Yeah, a lot at stake here, and hopefully we'll get some resolution soon. Kent, thanks for being with us. Yeah, thank you very much. Kent Backus with NCBA. That wraps it up for today. Thanks for joining us here on AOA, Adams on Agriculture. <music> 